When it first appeared in the skies over Europe, Allied pilots didn't know what they were looking at. A German plane with two engines but no propellers blitzing past their aircraft at speeds in excess of 500 miles per hour and delivering a deadly, devastating punch against Allied aircraft with its four 30mm cannons. The Messerschmitt Me 262 was the world's first operational jet fighter, entering combat on July 26, 1944 and bringing with it the dawn of a new age of air combat, the Jet Age. One can only wonder what kind of impact the aircraft could have had on the war as a whole if Hitler had himself not directly interfered with the project, delaying it considerably. With its shark-like fuselage and the deafening roar of its twin engines, the ME-262 burned a terrifying impression upon the Allied pilots who encountered it, and whose own propeller-driven aircraft struggled to come anywhere near to its top speed of 560 miles per hour. The Germans soon nicknamed their new wonder weapon, the Stormbird. However, its reputation often overshadows a number of drawbacks, particularly with engines that, as well as being prone to catching fire, suffered appallingly low life cycles as the quality of materials available to wartime Germany became increasingly scarce. Allied pilots also developed tactics aimed at specifically countering the jet fighter, but nevertheless, when airborne and in the hands of some of the Luftwaffe's most experienced pilots, it was an almost unstoppable superfighter. An often overlooked part of the aircraft's story is that, like many weapons from World War II, the Stormbird's life didn't end with the death of Hitler and the surrender of Nazi Germany on May 7, 1945. In today's episode, we're going to look at the ME-262's life in the post-war period and how it impacted the victorious Allies moving forward as they turned on each other in the early days of the Cold War. Welcome to Wars of the World. Allied testing. As the war came to Nazi Germany itself in 1945, the allies of both East and West were already eyeing one another suspiciously about their intentions in the post-war years to come. With their fascist enemy now in his death throes, they coveted Hitler's many advanced wonder weapons that his scientists had been producing, hoping to both improve their own military capabilities and to prevent their opposite number in Moscow or Washington from doing the same. Chief amongst this scramble for the spoils of war was the ME-262, the jet fighter that had stunned and horrified Allied pilots. Even before the war ended, the Western Allies scored a massive intelligence coup when a fully assembled and airworthy ME-262A1 was delivered right into their hands when Messerschmitt's test pilot Hans Fey defected to the Allies after landing his plane in Allied-controlled Frankfurt on March 31, 1945. Fey had intended to defect sooner, but fear of reprisals against his parents if he did so kept him in line, and it was only when he learned that their town was now in Allied hands that he felt confident enough to go forward with it without risk to them. 
Not only did the Allies now have an intact example to study, but they also had an expert on flying the aircraft, and Faye provided them with a wealth of knowledge and experience on the world's first operational jet fighter. Phase 262, serial number WNR111711, was carefully shipped across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States for testing at Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio. Having been disassembled, reassembled, and intensively studied by the US Army's foreign material exploitation teams, the aircraft was ready for flight testing by late August of 1945. On August 29th, former B-17 Flying Fortress pilot Captain Russell E. Sleech climbed into the cockpit to conduct the aircraft's first flights from American soil. Almost immediately after leaving the ground, Sleech realized something was wrong, as the aircraft felt inherently unstable, and only his supreme skill managed to avoid a crash. Nevertheless, he managed to safely complete the first flight without incident, and upon landing, the cause of the instability was traced back to the fact that the aircraft's guns had not been installed, nor were any ballast fitted to compensate for the missing 520 pounds in the nose of the aircraft that it was designed to fly with. The aircraft was also joined by a handful of other ME-262s, captured and shipped to the US for evaluation as part of an intelligence operation known as LUSTY, an abbreviation of Luftwaffe Secret Technology. When American forces overran Lechwald, a major ME-262 base, they discovered several intact examples, and three were slated for transfer to the US. Elsewhere, the RAF also came into possession of a number of intact ME-262s, including a two-seater night fighter complete with its FUG-218 Neptune radar set. Testing of the ME-262 was particularly interesting for the British, who had taken the lead in jet technology amongst the Allied nations, producing the first operational Allied jet fighter, the Gloucester Meteor. Comparing the two aircraft showed just how far ahead in aviation design the Germans were by the end of the war, with the ME-262 being faster and packing a heavier punch with its four 30mm cannons, compared to the British jet's four 20mm guns. Testing of the ME-262 revealed a number of interesting facts, chiefly that despite its much-lauded speed advantage, it was not as comfortable at higher speeds as previously thought. The testing also revealed its biggest weakness, and that was the ridiculously short lifespan of the Jumo engines, which saw one of the test aircraft have to undergo five engine changes in just 20 flights. American pilots also found the cockpit cramped and difficult to look over the shoulder at any aircraft coming in on the tail, a potentially lethal situation in a dogfight. Nevertheless, compared to what the Allies were fielding at the end of the war, it was still significantly advanced for the period, and much of the design thesis used in the ME-262 and other German jets was applied to several Allied jets after the war, helping to advance the technology of aircraft companies in both the UK and US. However, the shadow of the Nazi superfighter appeared to do the opposite for aircraft being developed in the Soviet Union. Soviet leader Stalin demanded an answer to the new jet fighters being produced in the West immediately after the war, and set the task to his own design bureaus. Such was the need for success, lest they face Stalin's brutal reprisals, it was not uncommon for the design bureaus to try and undermine their competitors with a careful whisper in Stalin's ear. The Yakovlev Design Bureau was a chief culprit of this underhanded tactic, and when rival Sukhoi revealed their Su-9 twin-engine fighter, 
Yakovlev is said to have commented on how much the aircraft looked like an ME-262. The idea of using a fascist design in the Red Air Force was completely unpalatable to Stalin, who immediately cancelled the Su-9 and the improved Su-11 version. While the resemblance to the ME-262 is striking, and the Su-9 was fitted with reverse-engineered Jumo engines, the Sukhoi aircraft were significantly different machines by comparison, and utilized a number of innovative technologies developed since the end of the war. Yakovlev, meanwhile, was providing the Red Air Force with the Yak-15, which not only was simply a wartime Yak-3 piston-engine fighter fitted with a jet engine in the nose, but said jet engine was again the reverse-engineered Jumo 004 from the ME-262. Back in the US, testing of the ME-262 was a relatively short affair. By the third quarter of the 1940s, newer jet fighters were being produced in the West that matched or surpassed both the 262's performance and technology. Just months after the end of the war, on November 7, 1945, an upgraded Gloucester Meteor achieved the speed of 606 miles per hour, over 40 miles per hour faster than the 262. Then on August 20, 1946, one of the ME-262s being tested at the Wright Field crashed after suffering an in-flight engine fire, although fortunately, test pilot First Lieutenant Walter J. McCauley Jr. was able to safely bail out before it hit the ground. With other 262s returning from flights with one engine having failed, it was decided it was no longer worth risking pilots' lives to continue the program. Hitler had always viewed himself as the liberator of the Germanic peoples who lived outside of the post-war German borders, and after achieving Anschluss with Austria in March of 1938, he next set his sights on Czechoslovakia, where a great many of ethnic Germans resided. In September of 1938, following the Munich Agreement, he was able to seize the Sudetenland, which greatly weakened Czechoslovakia's defenses, as much of their efforts had been focused in this region. Thus, they were ill-prepared when Hungary and Poland made similar moves, followed by a complete occupation by Nazi Germany in 1939. One of Germany's prizes for seizing Czechoslovakia was the manufacturing facilities belonging to the aircraft company Avia. Despite not sharing the same prestige as American, British, or German manufacturers, Avia produced some excellent aircraft in the interwar years, and some, like the Avia B-534, were adopted for use by the Luftwaffe for second-line roles, like training. Avia were quickly pressed into service to use their expertise to help build German aircraft for the Luftwaffe, and this required much of the German tooling being transferred to the company for this purpose. Avia was heavily involved in manufacturing Messerschmitt Bf 109 fighters, but towards the end of the war began building the new German jet fighter, often inside converted railway tunnels, to protect them from Allied air raids. At the end of the war, Czechoslovakia still had the tooling, rigs, manuals, and even partially completed airframes and engines for the ME-262, which were seized by advancing Soviet forces before being handed back to the Czechs. Needing to rebuild their armed forces quickly, the Czechoslovak government decided to utilize the tools afforded them by their former occupiers to build German designers for the re-established Czech Air Force. Avia, therefore, decided to make a somewhat ambitious move and begin building ME-262s on their own. 
Work began in late 1945 on what was effectively Czechoslovakia's first jet fighter, based on the ME-262A1A variant. In order to brush off the stigma of its fascist origins, Avia redesignated the aircraft as the Avia S-92 Turbina, and on August 27, 1946, the first test flight was undertaken by Avia's chief pilot, Anton Kraus. This first aircraft would have a short lifespan, crashing less than one month later, but this wouldn't curtail Avia's enthusiasm for the project, who were now well on their way to building more examples. These included three two-seat trainer variants, which received the designation CS-92 Tabina, and which would take to the air for the first time on December 10th, 1946. The Junkers Jumo 004 engine also received a new designation, becoming the M04. Compared to its wartime forebear, the M04 was reportedly a significantly better engine now that many of the wartime limitations and restrictions on strategic parts had been lifted, which in turn improved their quality. Whereas the Luftwaffe reported these engines having a lifespan of around 30 hours, the Czechoslovakian pilots reported that their engines could be made to last twice that time with careful maintenance and use by the pilots. A single S-92 was trialed with a pair of BMW 003 turbojets. However, despite the extra thrust, this installation proved unsuccessful and all operational S-92s retained their M04 engines. The first operational S-92s were delivered to the Czech Air Force in 1946 in order to train up pilots and ground crews on operating the aircraft. In terms of performance, the S-92 was every bit as capable as its wartime predecessor, able to reach 560 miles per hour in level of flight, as well as retaining its devastating array of four nose-mounted 30mm cannons. However, by the time the Czech Air Force was ready to form its first operational jet squadron on the type in 1950, such performance figures had fallen behind the latest designs, such as the North American F-86 Sabre, which made the S-92 appear almost elderly by comparison. With Czechoslovakia now firmly in the communist sphere of influence, they were granted access to some of the newer Soviet jet fighters, leaving the S-92's frontline career a relatively short and underwhelming story. Perhaps their biggest impact in service was simply to shock visitors to Czechoslovak airbases to see the Nazi superfighter still in service. Quickly relegated to a training role, the small fleet was used to give pilots their first taste of jet performance before moving on to the more advanced planes that were filling the ranks of the Czech Air Force in the 1950s. Even this role was short-lived, however, and less than a year after the first complete squadron was formed, the S-92s were permanently grounded in 1951 and used as instructional airframes before being scrapped or being donated to museums. Just seven S-92s were completed and flown, along with three CS-92 trainers, and a single example of each survive in museums today, helping to keep alive this fascinating but overlooked chapter of the ME-262 story. Such has been the interest in the ME-262 that there were numerous efforts to return an example to the skies to join the warbird scene in the 1990s and early 2000s. This was an extremely difficult task, given how limited the number of possible airframes that were available for restoration compared to aircraft such as the much more common BF-109. The problems of operating Jumo 004 engines also curtailed such ambitions, meaning that if an ME-262 was ever to fly again, 
then it would have to come at the cost of total authenticity. Enter the ME262 project, a US company found in 1993 with the goal of building airworthy replica ME262s, but using contemporary components, chiefly the fitting of modern General Electric CJ610 turbojet engines. Based at Payne Field near Seattle in Washington State, the company produced five aircraft available in both single and two-seat configurations, with some aircraft being interchangeable. The first, a two-seat replica ME-262B, carrying the appropriate American registration of N-262AZ, took to the sky for the first time on December 20th, 2002. Few would deny that these are some of the most unique aircraft in the world, and have fascinated history enthusiasts the world over as they offer a glimpse into the past and what these incredible aircraft must have looked like in flight during those dark days of World War II. The whole ME262 story stands as a testament to what mankind is capable of, even in service of the darkest minds. For while we look back in awe of this incredible piece of technology and the era in which it ushered, we must never forget that it arose to push forward the cause of fascism and enhance the power of some of the most evil of men. And there you have the post-war tale of the ME262. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.